Nehemiah chapter 4. Turn me on here. Is that good? I don't know. Okay, Nehemiah. This up just a little bit perfect. Thank you. There it is. All right, Nehemiah chapter 4. Brother Jim has read this. And uh, where we are going to be, verses 1 through 6. And if we're able to revisit just a little bit uh, of last week, we saw last week uh, towards the end of that message that uh, we are a single body here. We're a body of, of many members, and each member has a place in the body. And I, I don't want to spend too much time going over what the church is, and it seems like... Um, <clears throat> You know, I, I, it comes up quite a bit, but, you know, Jesus did start the church, and I think it's pretty important that we understand exactly what it is. And we know that the church is a, is a called-out assembly, that word ecclesia, we understand that. And we know that the, the church has been described by three metaphors, a, a body, a building, and a bride. A body, a building, and a bride. In Colossians 1.24, the Bible says that who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. Look at this. For His body's sake, which is the church. Okay, pretty plain. The church is, you, is called a body in the Word of God. It is also called a building in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's, ye are God's building. So it's called a building. Okay, First Corinthians, and then finally in Ephesians uh, chapter five, twenty-five through twenty-seven, Paul is talking about marriage, and he speaks of the. We see the the correlation of a bride, and he says, "Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that you might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church." not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And it's very obvious he's showing the, the comparison between marriage and a bride and Christ and his church. And in verse 32, Paul goes on there and says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So we see the, the church is called a body, it's called a building, it's called a bride. A body, a building, they're all local, they're all visible. They're all, you can see them all. We do not believe that the Bible teaches, and we know the Bible does not teach, a, a universal, invisible church. There's no such thing as that. Those who are saved and born again uh, of the Spirit of God, they are part of the kingdom of God, the word basilica. They have been, they have been played, the, the kingdom, the, but Jesus says the, the kingdom is within you. But not everybody who is saved in the kingdom of God is a part of a church that Jesus started. They're not. There may be a, it is possible that you'd have a Methodist who is saved and a, who's, who genuinely trusted Christ as their Savior, a Presbyterian who looked at Christ and got saved. But I'm sorry, we just believe that the church that Jesus started has a, we, and to this day we still endeavor to do so, have the same identifying marks as the church that Jesus started is, which we believe is a Baptist church. And that's, that's fine. We do not believe that the Baptists are the only one going up in the rapture. The call, people say this, and you'll hear this many times. That's ah, not in the message. I better clarify this, though. That you'll, see, you'll hear this term, the rapture of the bride. The rapture of the bride. You know the Bible never says that. It never says that Jesus is coming for His bride. It says He's coming for His saints. He's coming for His saints. 
So we're not Baptist brighters, <laughs> and that's a whole other topic that, that we, I'll, I'll deal with you someday if you ever want to know about that. We, we do not believe that the, the Baptist church is the only one going up in the rapture. The Bible doesn't teach that, although some believe that. But about it, they're all visible and local. But the two most obvious aspects of a New Testament Baptist church is that it is an assembly. The word ecclesia called out what? Assembly. And that it assembles. Well, that's kind of obvious, right? It is an assembly and it assembles. Well, for one thing, we are a body here, this, the Calvary Baptist Church. And those that have joined to this body are members, are appendages of this body. Some are hands, some are feet, some are eyes. Some are noses, and in every body there are uncomely parts, but they're just there, okay? And we, so, listen, they're just there, right? Hopefully you're not one of those, but it assembles. And just like a church is a physical assembly of believers, you know what else is an assembly? A wall. Hmm, a wall? Yeah, a wall. A wall is an assembly. It's, 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 an, it's an assembly of parts that make up a whole. It may be a brick wall. It may be, a, it may be poured concrete, which is a whole other mess of assembly of parts put together to make a wall. But a wall is an assembly as well. And nothing about this is figurative. Nothing is spiritualized here. Uh, if you have joined this church and are alive, and you are breathing, you actually exist, okay? So a body exists. Uh, uh, it, it is visible. I'm looking out at the body right now. Those of you who are members of this body, I'm, I'm looking at you, and you actually exist. And those uh, who are here, and you're breathing, and you're alive and well, and your members here, we are supposed to assemble. That's just what a church does. It assembles. It assembles every time we decide to. Why do we assemble on Sunday? Because it's the Lord's Day. Because that's the church that Jesus started to assemble. That was the first, I've said this a million times, I love this. The first, the first service after the resurrection was a Sunday night service. And you know who wasn't there? Thomas. <laughs> he never showed up. He was doubting. So we meet on Sundays. We meet on Wednesday. You know what? Some churches meet on Tuesday nights. That's fine. Some churches meet on Thursday nights. That's fine. Hey. They can do what they wish in that. They can meet every night of the week if you wanted to. That would be fine. But the point is, assemble. And as the days go on, as the years go on, as we get closer to the return of Christ, you'll, you will notice this mark among churches. It's not that they want to assemble more. They'll find reasons to assemble less. Well, let's get rid of this, and let's not do this, and let's not do this. Well, that's fine. And sometimes I understand why people don't want to do certain things, and we wonder the validity of some of our ministries, and we have to constantly watch those. But is the point of it to, uh, to, uh, how do I, to reach the community in a more effective way, or is the point of it just because we're just tired of going to church? That's what some of it is. And there's some large churches in Springfield and here that aren't in church tonight. They're not assembling tonight, not to reach the community, it's because they don't want to. They're tired. Well, Bubba, I'm tired too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're all tired. Endure hardness as a good soldier, right? Endure hardness. And so, anyway, I don't know how I got off on that. So, we, we, oh, that's what it is. We assemble. We assemble. We're to come together. And listen, when everybody is in their place, you know what we have? We have a complete wall. We have a completed wall. 
without any breaches, without any holes. There is a wall when everybody is in their place. And there is a wall without, without access points for the enemy. But not only should all the members of the body of Christ be present, but they should be in the right heart and the right mind. No, when, when God's people are right with God, listen, they will want to obey God. You say, well, I don't know if I'm right with God. Do you have an appetite for the things of God? Do you desire the things of God? Do you desire to know more? Or you're like, I've heard it. I've heard it already. All right, I've heard it already. You're never going to give me anything new. Well, no. No, and that cheeseburger, you've eaten how many cheeseburgers in your life? About 10,000 probably. You still go back to them, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, right. No, you'll want to obey God. And when listen, when a member of the body of Christ is not right with God, that member leaves a hole in the wall because it's broken down in, in, in their life. Listen, what is broken down in their life is broken down in the wall as well. It is. I, I thought I'd illustrate this. I was going to get a whole line of people up here. I didn't know how that would go. So I thought, yeah, well. Just imagine in your mind the visible church right here you're imagining something invisible okay you have a long line of people it makes up a wall of this body and if one sits down if one has something wrong in their life to where they have sat down where they are not where they ought to be we have an open in an open breach for the enemy okay verse corinthians 5 6 listen what this says your glorying is not good why know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump no, the things in my life that, are, that, may, that would not be right, and the things in your life that are not right, maybe. I, I'm not assuming that, it, that somebody's like that. I'm just, maybe it is. Maybe it's possible. There's something in your life that isn't right. No, you're affecting the entire body that is here. You affect everybody. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, how's your attitude? How, how's your heart towards things? How, how, what's your spirit like? You know, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians... Don't glory in your sin. Don't glory in your obstinance. You're affecting the entire body. You're affecting everyone. You're leaving a hole in the wall for the enemy to come in. And uh, when everyone is in, in when, but when everybody in the body, I should say, is obeying God and they have a heart for God, the entire body is like a wall that the enemy cannot penetrate. And when everyone is built up and strong in their section of the wall, listen, listen, listen. Now, now if, if you've forgotten everything, let me bring it to conclusion here and remember this. Not, not the whole message conclusion. Don't get excited. Just this little area before you go. This is unity. Now listen, and unity is preparation. You say preparation? Preparation for what? Okay. Well, stay tuned. We'll figure this out at the end, all right? So in our text tonight, we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at opposition. We're going to look at propaganda. We're going to look at a call for help. And then we're going to look at unity. That's how I'm breaking down these first six verses. You might break them down in a better way, and then that's fine. But this is just the words I found to use out of my weird brain. So number one, I want you to find, notice this in verse one, opposition. 
But it came to pass when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. So Sanballat, we see, he doesn't, he doesn't like what's going on. He, he is a governor over this portion of the Persian Empire. And uh, the rebuilding of the wall is an affront to him. It is a threat to his authority. It is a, th- a threat to his posterity as a governmental leader. And he doesn't like it. And so, you know, Sam, he's not a Jew. He doesn't care. He has no interest in seeing Israel back in the land. When all these Jews started coming up, beginning with Ezra, they, I mean, the, the, those people that lived there, they weren't like, great. This is wonderful. I'm excited for this. No, Ezra had opposition. Uh, Nehemiah has had opposition. Everybody that has ever done anything for God has had opposition. You're going to have opposition in your life. Hey, listen, if you don't have any opposition in your life, maybe you're not doing anything for God. It's possible. I'm not going to accuse. It's just, I'm just saying it's possible. Yeah, it's typical in the life of the believer that when they begin to obey God, opposition comes. This is normal. You know, you're going to see opposition from coworkers when you won't go out with them after work to certain places. Why? Because their conversation isn't godly. And what they, what they imbibe in isn't godly. And, and all of these things, they, you know, they, they just don't lead you to godliness. So you know what you do? You might say, eh, I'm going to pass today. Oh, what are you doing that for? Well, you know, because I'm just going to, <laughs> right? Maybe you get opposition from family members when you miss family get-togethers because of church activities. You ever had that with your kids? Yeah, they want to go somewhere, you know, we'll go to church. Why is it everybody has a birthday party now on Sunday afternoon? Or they have family reunions on Sunday now? Why is that? You ever wonder? Everything that goes on now. And you might say, no, I'm sorry. Thank you for the invite, but we're not going to be able to come. Well, why aren't you coming? Well, we got church, and by the time we get home and get supper and get this, we'll be back to church and, oh, church? Yeah, 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 you know, right. Opposition. You might get opposition from friends when you maybe don't participate in ungodly traditions. October 31st is coming up. What? You don't let your kids dress up? It's so cute. No, it's wicked. Oh, did I just say that? Yeah. Yeah. It's demonic. October, October 31st is Halloween. Anybody remember that? Okay. <laughs> no. No, it's not right. It's not. There's nothing. God, it is everything about death and darkness and wickedness and stuff. You know, we, well, I, I know. So, hey, if you want to turn your light on and pass out tracks, have at it. But, we, you know, we just we, we don't do much. We don't do that. For, for, for a long time, we just shut the, shut the lights out, you know? One year, a couple of years, we took the youth group out soul winning visitation we, on, on Halloween night. We said, you're not taking candy. You're not dressing up. We're just going to go door to door and pass out tracks. You would, wait, the whole, the whole town is open. Why wouldn't you? It was an easy thing. And they would go, they had the best time. They came back and said, that was awesome. Because they go to hand candy. We go, oh, no, thanks. Here's something for you. And they go, you go, they'd always take it. They didn't know what to do, you know. And they're, here they are reading the gospel. They had the best time in the world. You know what? Yeah, absolutely. But we don't participate in some things. And you know what happens when you take a stand on these things? Opposition comes. And the opposition comes from all over the place. So no matter where it is, no matter what it is, when you are building the walls in your life, opposition is going to come. Mark it down. It's coming. Why? Why does opposition come? No, listen, they don't really care about the wall you're building. They really don't. You know what I think it comes down to many times? 
I think what it comes down to many times is that uh, your godly life is a mirror that ends up condemning the ones who oppose you. No, it's called guilt and conviction. Many times the opposition comes just because you convict them. Because, they, because the life that you're attempting, hopefully it's not in pride and it's not in arrogance, it's not in an attitude that uh, I'm better than you are. That's, I mean, uh, our life should be marked by humility. That was what, that was what marked Jesus' life, that he, was, that he was humble, and that should mark our life as well. But when we endeavor out of a pure heart just to serve God and to do what's right, hey, listen, it's convicting to some people and they don't like it. So what are they going to do? They're going to oppose you. They're going to mock you. They're going to, they're going to act like they're mad at you for your choices. They're going to have great indignation, and which uh, the word indignation, you know, it means anger, annoyance. And uh, they, they, they feel like they've been treated unfairly, unfairly. You ever heard this? Really? You're going to, you're going to choose your church over your family? Ever heard that one? Oh, really? You're going to choose your church over where your own flesh and blood, and you're like the church better, you know? And, and they, so they come at you like they've just been treated unfairly, unfairly. No, it's going to come. Opposition is going to come, but when the opposition won't work, here's Sandballot. You know what comes next? In verses two and three, propaganda. I like that. I like propaganda. Because once you understand what propaganda is, you can understand who's manipulating you. And there's usually key words that are used in propaganda, like always and never. You ever have your kids say, you never let me go anywhere. Oh, such propaganda. That's, that's called manipulation. And you know what manipulation means? That you are really totally self-centered. <laughs> that you care for nothing but yourself. Yeah, propaganda. I never get to go over here. You never do this. I always, you never. I, 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 yeah, propaganda. That's what that is, propaganda. Propaganda is information that is not objective. Here's a dictionary definition. And is used primarily to in influence an audience and further an agenda. Propaganda is also using loaded language to produce an emotional rather than a rational response to the information that's presented. You never let me do Oh, poor me. Oh, I'm so, my life is so dejected. My life is so terrible. I never get to do this. Oh, it's an emotional thing. Not fact that you just got to do 25 things yesterday, but it's not what you wanted to do today, right? It's manipulation and it's, and, and it's demeaning discouragement. Look, this is what happened here in verses 2 through 3. Look at this. Let's read this. And he spake before his brethren in the armies of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, I th- I've, and I think this was really a real measly little pipsqueak, you know. Even, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. I mean, they're just like, they just like feed off each other, you know. They're just, uh, they hate these Jews. And they start with a bunch of propaganda. Feeble Jews. Look at that word, feeble. Yeah, feeble Jews. Fortify, will they sacrifice? Will they make an end of the, end of the day? Will they revive the stones? If a fox go up, they're going to break the wall. And with this demeaning discouragement. They're just so demeaning to, these, to the Jews. And he, listen, Sam Ballot manipulated his countrymen and his allies. 
in thinking that the Jews were just a bunch of little schoolgirls trying to build a huge wall. They had no ability. They, they, they just, they're, they're too small for the, for the job. There's no way they could do that. And he demeaned the Jews so that they would stop building. That was the goal. He just didn't want them to continue to build. He was working both sides. And this is, listen, this is what Satan does in our life. He uses propaganda. You ever have Satan tell you things like this? Maybe, maybe you think this. You never pray. You never get prayer answered. Is that all you do is wrong? I mean, you just do the same sin over and over and over and over. Is that all you ever do? Huh. I think it is. That's all you ever do is wrong. Have you ever pleased God in your life? I don't think you've ever pleased God. When people ask questions about God, you never have a good answer. I mean, like five people last week asked you a question. You didn't even know. Do you ever have a good answer? No, no, this is propaganda. Satan uses it. He uses it. It's an emotional tool. He'll demean you with discouragement. God can't use you. Remember what you did 2,800 years ago? Do you remember what you said to that guy at work in aught seven in the year of the big storm? You know, you remember that? I mean, so far back, you don't even remember dates, right? No, no, Satan does this. He, 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 he will... He will bring demeaning discouragement to our life. How can God love you? Your own parents think you're annoying. You know, you ever? <laughs> That's kind of true. No. <laughs> you can't work a Sunday school class. You don't even know enough Bible. How, how, would you, how would you teach a child anything? How would you teach your children anything? How, how, would, you, how would you come up and, and help anybody? You don't know enough Bible to do that. You can't go on visitation. You get up one morning and think, I think I'm going to go on visitation tonight. That, that's when, and Satan starts on you. You can't. What are you talking? You can't even talk right. How could you go on visitation? They're just. They're gonna. They're gonna slam the door. No, he demeans you. This is what Satan does, friend. He comes after you with with this attack that he demeans us and he tears us down. And it's all emotional. It's never hardly ever based in fact. Why does he do it? So he can discourage you from doing anything for God. How many in here have been? You don't don't raise your hand. But internally, you can say, you know what? You can look back in your life and you can say, yeah, I, I remember a few times Satan's done that to me and I thought I was ready to go do something for God and man, something came to my mind and I was done. I thought, I'm not going to, no, I'm not. I can't do that. I can't do that. There's no way I could do that. Why? Yeah. He won. He won. Absolutely. And this is what Sanballat did before his people in the army of Samaria. Listen, he wanted to manipulate and demean the Jews so, they, so that he could remove the threat to his domain. So he went after him. He attacked him. But you know what? Verse 4 and 5, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. Let's read verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are, are despised. This is Nehemiah praying. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we see here, number three, that Nehemiah calls for help. And instead of Nehemiah answering Sanballat and Tobiah, he turns himself to prayer. 
you know, sometimes that's good in our life when Satan comes, when he accuses you as he does day and night before the Father, when he accuses you, when he demeans you, when he uses manipulative means to, to emotionally uh, get, get control over your life, when he does that, you know what we ought to do? Probably not even to answer him, not even to dwell on it, not even to think about it, but we should ought to turn immediately to God and say, you know what, Father, I know what I was, I know what I am, but I know what I am in Christ, and I know that you love me. And I know that you have a plan for me. And I know you have a desire for my life. And I know the things that are coming into my mind and the thoughts in my mind are, are a lie of Satan. I refuse to believe them. And we know his end. No, remind him of that. We know his end. And when Satan comes after us, instead of spending any time at all internalizing this attack, turn to prayer and walk away. You know, we were told to take every thought into captivity, into the captivity of Jesus Christ. Every thought should be taken into captivity and, and, and given to Christ and let him, let him parse those out. We know Jude 1 and verse 9. Jude verse 9, and yet Michael the archangel, when he contended with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Michael the archangel not even take the, the time to rebuke Satan himself. He didn't spend it. He just said, Lord, rebuke me. Get out of here. I've got something to do. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And he said, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? God rebukes Satan. By saying, the Lord rebuke thee, his authority, his creator said, knock it off. And he has authority over him. So Nehemiah prays to God. He doesn't answer Sanballat or Tobiah. He prays. And look what he asks God. Number one, he asks them to return their reproach upon their head. Whatever they're doing, God, do it back. Make sure that falls back on them. We, we, we reap what we sow. What, is, what we meet out will be meted back to us again. The Bible says, and he says to return their reproach upon their heads. He says, give them for a prey. No, cause somebody else to hunt them down like they're hunting us down. Mm. He says, don't cover their iniquity. Don't blot out their sin. No, no, God, don't forgive them. Please, God, don't forgive them. Why? Look what he says here. I, I like this. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. You notice Nehemiah didn't take the insults and manipulation personally. He didn't take it personally. How do you know that? Look how he prayed at the end of his prayer. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. He knew their attack was really against God. At the end of it all, his attack is against God, which is why his prayer wasn't really for himself, but for God. He was concerned about God. And this is why they were building in the first place. Think about This is why they were building the wall in the first place. It wasn't for them necessarily. It's for God. He was burdened his heart. Nehemiah was burdened that, that, that the, 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 the land that was God's and what God had done in Israel, what God had provided for these people, that it was broken down and in ruins. He was, he was broken about it himself. And he decided, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to build the wall back. And I'm going to redo this. It was for God. Realize, you know what? And I've said it a million times. Satan isn't really after you. He really isn't. No, 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 we're the tool. 
but 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 his 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 target is God. He hates him. He's after God, and he will use you any way you allow him to get to him. So we saw opposition. We see propaganda. We saw a call for help. Number four, we see unity in verse six, and we're moving to the end here. Verse six: So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. How many have ever heard of or read the book, The Art of War? Anybody? Know that? I, 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 would, I would, okay, I would, I would believe that, Brother Jim. <laughs> that is a, it, it, it's about a 5th century B.C. book. It is it attributed to Sun Sun. Sun Tzu, thank you, not Sun Young Moon, but Sun Tzu. And uh, Sun Young Moon is a little too late. And uh, it, it was essentially a book uh, about battle, and it was a book about strategy. And many have read this book. Our, our, old, our own Schwarzkopf is said to have read this book. It's a, it's a wonderful book and there's a, there, for, for war, for understanding war and battle and conquest. But there's a line within this book that is posted in the locker room and this is not. This is not a. Uh, uh, this is not a, a, I'm, I'm not giving any. Uh, uh, I'm not saying I agree with this. Okay, with these people. Okay, but it is posted in the locker room of the New England Patriots. They're not allowed to have. Don't boo. They're not allowed to have anything posted in the locker room but this, and it says this: Every battle is won before it is fought. Every battle is won. Before it is fought. You know, in the Christian life, we're in a battle. And God has equipped us to fight and to defend. He's equipped us. He's given us the equipment for that. So, how was this battle here in Nehemiah chapter 4? How was it won before it was even fought? How was it won? Remember at the beginning of the message? When I said this, when everyone is built up and, and strong in their section of the wall, remember I said this is unity? It's unity. And then I said this, unity is preparation. Preparation for what? Now notice at the, verse of six, notice at the end of verse 6, for the people had a mind to work. How did the Israelites get through the opposition and the propaganda? They had a mind to work. Notice this. The people. Who was that? Everyone who was building on the wall. The people. Notice this next word. Had. Past tense. (laughs) Past tense. What had they? A mind. Well, is that just uh, intellectual assent to the job at hand? What does mind mean? In this scripture, in the Hebrew, this word mind means the will, the heart. It's the seat of appetite. It is a seat of inclination. It's resolution and it's determination of the will. That's what this word mind means. They had, the people had, past tense, 
They had the will, they had the heart, they had the appetite, they had the resolution, they had the, res- the, 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 the determination to do what? To build the wall. It was past tense. No, you, you know how the battle was won before it was fought here? The Israelites building the wall already had the heart's desire to do it. And they were fixed, they were established, they were determined that, that, listen, we are building the wall. And when the opposition came, when the opposition which is going to came, come, when it came through, they had already won the battle. Why? Because they had, they had already fought. The fight was already won because they had already won the battle in their own heart and in their own mind. They were determined, they were determined to do what God wanted them to do. And nothing was going to... Nothing was going to remove them from that. You know, when everyone desires to do what God wants done, the people building the wall become a wall. Hold on. When everybody is on the same page, and everybody has the same heart, and everybody has the same, same desire to do the will of God, those individuals, that body of people, become a wall in of themselves. Now, hold on. This is unity. Wait, and unity is the preparation. What was the, they were unified. They were of the same, what, heart? They were of the same mind. They were of the same desire. They were of the same attitude, which was the preparation. The preparation, what? For the battle that was going to come. And because they were unified, and because that is the preparation, it was already won, no matter who come, no matter who, no matter who came against them. And when there's this kind of preparation, hey, listen, there's nothing that's going to overcome these people. Nothing at all. For the people had a mind to work. Let me ask you something. Where is your heart tonight? I have to ask myself, where's my heart tonight? Are you bored out of your mind tonight? Are you just bored? What's the condition of your mind, your will, your desire? Do you have a do you desire God? Do you desire God? Is that a fair question? I think so. Do you have an appetite for the things of God? Well, what are the things of God? I don't know. Prayer? Um, the Word of God? <laughs> the songs of the faith? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart as unto the Lord? Is any, metal, any melody left in that heart unto God? Is there any area of your life where there might need, where there might be a breach that needs to be rebuilt. Where's your heart tonight? You know how you listen. If your heart isn't where it ought to be, you are going to lose battle after battle after battle after battle. Battle of the mind, battle of the flesh, battle of the lust, battle. Hey, battle, battle, battle. You're going to lose. Why? Because you haven't already won. How do we already won? It's got to be when the heart is set. Listen, when the heart is determined, the heart is set, you've already won before the battle even came. 
You say, well, what do I do? How do I win this battle? How, how do I get there? You know what David said? Psalm 51 and 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, when David came to a place in his life where he hadn't already won the battle, no, his heart and his in his will of his the will of his of his heart wasn't wasn't determined, wasn't set, wasn't wasn't anchored, it wasn't fixed. When it had to do with the the lust of the flesh, he lost the battle. And you know what? He, after this big battle that he lost, he understood that the heart was the issue. And the thing he asked God was, he said, "Create in me a clean heart." The heart is dirty, it is filthy, it is vile, and it needs to be clean. Look what else he said, and renew a right spirit within me. My spirit's bad. Yeah. Do you know this word heart created me a clean heart? This word heart is the very same word in Hebrew as the word mind. (laughs) Same word. David could have said, create in me a clean mind, O God. As we would have seen, that would have been the same way it was used in verse 6. The people had a mind to work. How's your heart tonight? Do you know if there's a breach there? Do you know if there's something in the heart that is just, the appetite for God is not there? Not only are you going to lose victories in your life personally, we are going to lose victories within the body because we affect everybody. We really do. We affect the whole because we are like a wall. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Sometimes the, the most simple words in a passage become the most probing words. And it's so easy to pass over the text in casual reading that we miss the the gravity of the seriousness of what's going on here. And Lord, this was something that was determined long ago in in the heart of Nehemiah. And he was able to transfer it to the heart of the people as well. All the way back when he was in, in the palace, his heart was already fixed. He was already broken. He had already determined that, he was, he, that his desire in his heart was for you. And the battle in his, lives, in his life was already won. And Father, it may be that there are people here tonight that have lost some battles. Or a, even maybe right now are losing some battles. And Father, I am asking you that we would get with you tonight and ask you to change our hearts, wherever that might be, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you'd renew a right spirit within us, that we would be determined, Lord, that we desire you and we seek you, we're going to obey you, and Lord, only you can change that heart. We'd ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand tonight with your. Go ahead and keep.